السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته صباح الخير أولا حاب أستأذن منكم أني أقدم العرض هذا باللغة الإنجليزية وأعتذر منكم في البداية Umran and Alan, we've all seen these pictures. Images that shook the world. I want to ask you to take a second and remember. Remember what did you feel for the first time when you saw these images? Were you angry? Scared? Perhaps frustrated? I remember how I felt. I felt helpless. Completely and utterly helpless. There's nothing I can do. The fr frustration is on the past eight years. These strategies have been happening again and again and again. Whether it is Syrian refugees, stateless Rohingya, or Mexican children stuck on the US border. I kept asking myself, what can we do as individuals? As engineers, as doctors, as lawyers, as people who are pursuing our own dreams, what can we do? So who am I? What's my story? My name is Abdelaziz Al-Ghanem, and I'm a humanitarian engineer. That means that I believe that the world's most challenging humanitarian problems deserve the most sophisticated and uh, competent talent in the world to tackle them. I started programming in elementary school, and I was a kid who fell in love with robotics. In my small high school in Riyadh, I found my way to Silicon Valley, where I worked for Palantir, a large data system solution company that helps large or organizations make better decisions with their data. At Palantir, I worked on problems such, are, such as uh, car manufacturing, uh, aircraft maintenance, um, optimizing oil and gas discovery. But by far, my favorite project was when I worked on a project to optimize aid delivery to Syrian refugees in Syria. This project was special to me because it opened my eyes to the possibilities and potential software can have into the humanitarian world. It was a whole industry that was left behind by the Silicon Valley technology. And there's a lot that could be done. But I kept asking myself, how come companies like Palantir, like Google, like Facebook, did not have the resources or capacity to pursue these problems in a more first-class fashion? It wasn't their mission to fix these problems. Before Palantir, I was asked to I was trained to ask these challenging questions. <clears throat> I um, was blessed with an education at MIT uh, where the president of MIT was my advisor. And my freshman year, I met my co-founder, Atif. And in 2017, Atif and I said, well, if, if we don't work on these problems, if we are this profile that we claim the world to not focus on these problems and we don't work on it ourselves, then who will? So in 2017, we quit our jobs and decided to pursue technology first uh, for refugees. Build a technology organization that attracts the best talent to solve some of the most difficult humanitarian problems. We caught the attention of Y Combinator, one of the leading startup accelerators in the world. 
And they were the first to fund us to go and build uh, refugee technologies. We spent, we spent months iterating, prototyping, and co-designing with refugee communities in Greece and Turkey. One thing was glaringly clear to us, refugees were not only stuck by borders, they were also stuck by language barriers. And I'm going to walk you through what that means. I want to put you in the shoes of a refugee in crisis. You're stuck in a camp with thousands of other people. Your son needs medical attention. The English-speaking medic can't understand you when you say he's allergic to penicillin. For you, this could be life or death. This is the problem we're solving, the language problem. You might be asking, well, why don't they use Google Translate? And that's a fair question. In reality, machine translation is not used in the field today because of two main reasons. One is not accurate enough for the long tail of language pairs that does not have enough training data. And the second is these communities have experienced mistrust in any shape and form, and they already lack trust in humanity. And it's another huge milestone for them to just trust technology. And it's an uphill battle that we fight every day. It was quickly apparent to us that it wasn't just the refugees that needed this. More critically, the aid workers, the service providers that were trying to help them, the medics, the lawyers, the NGO staff, were unable to do their jobs because of their inability to communicate with their communities. So in 2017, we launched Terjimli. It was a Facebook Messenger application that allows aid workers and refugees to communicate by connecting them to a real human volunteer interpreter in less than 60 seconds. When we first launched Terjimli, in two days, we signed up more than 800 volunteers. On our fourth day, we did our first translation session. We got media coverage from Forbes and Mashable. People were very excited about the idea that you could directly impact and help a refugee right from your phone, right from your living room, with a skill that you might not even know you've had. The Terjimli product had two core product hypotheses, the community solution and the technology solution. And I'll elaborate what that means. In the world today, there's more than 25 million refugees that might need help with language. But on the other hand, there's more than 3 billion bilinguals that have the skill and capability to help them. This huge imbalance between supply and demand tells us there's opportunity and room for us to completely eradicate this problem. The second hypothesis comes from the technology um, uh, hypothesis, which is the following. For us to be able to utilize and harvest this large pool, almost 120 bilingual that's connected to the internet per refugee that needs help distributed around the world. For us to leverage that pool efficiently, we're going to need to build 
technology that is able to target, harvest, and build these communities. And that's where we learned, that's where we leaned on machine learning to help us target and find the best volunteers that, may, that might be available to help at any given second. This is the Facebook Messenger app that we launched a year ago. The refugee will go in, select their native language, at which point communication will be in that language for them. And this comes from a belief in, distribu in distributive justice. The idea that anyone deserves access regardless of the language they speak. After you select your language, you select the language that you need help with. That will send a request to our machine learning engine and ask it, who are the volunteer interpreters that are available right now to be able to help with that specific language? We find the top five people. We ask them if they're available, the first to, uh, to accept this request, which happens in less than 60 seconds, is matched in a session with the refugee or aid worker that needs help with interpreting. Once they're connected, they're connected in an anonymous private session. They help for about an average of 15 minutes. When that's done, they're both asked to reach each other, which feeds back again to our matching engine to improve the quality. In 2018, we were able to sign up more than 7,000 volunteers. They were able to help 15,000 refugees just this year in medical, legal, and rescue operations. Also more than 3,000 aid workers from more than 400 NGOs have used Terjimli to get critical translation need. This includes staff from the UNHCR, Doctors Without Borders, and the International Rescue Committee. This gives us a really strong signal. Every one of these organizations that I mentioned has dedicated translation resources. Yet, they lean on our service to get extra support. The problem is much bigger for them to solve on their own. Terjimli was there for a Syrian woman that got medical instruction in Greek on how to take her medicine. Terjimli was there for an Iraqi woman that ran crying into a trauma center, trying to explain to the American staff that she needed shelter for the night because she was facing domestic abuse back in the camp. Terjimli was there for a Congolese woman that waited months for her asylum interview. On the day of the interview, the scheduled translator canceled on her. Her only alternative was to reschedule and wait for another number of months. But a Terjimli volunteer living in Paris picked up the call. Congolese herself was able to be the cultural mediator and interpreter for that refugee in need for over an hour. A theme here repeats itself. In every one of these situations, the volunteers go above and beyond just interpreting. They share compassion, love, and human war warmth to those who need it the most. The top 70% of, of our volunteer translators, the top 70% of our top performing pool, are women. 
this gives us a unique opportunity to service female refugees that don't feel comfortable interfacing with male interpreters on the ground to communicate their basic day-to-day -day needs and necessities. And my favorite interaction of all is when Terjimli was there for a group of 12 refugees that capsized on the Mediterranean in their trip from Turkey to Greece. A Greek NGO was surveying the Mediterranean and spotted the 12 refugees in the water, but they were in Turkish waters. They were unable to cross to the other side to not break international law. The only option was to call the Turkish Coast Guard and share the coordinates with them. No one in the Greek ship spoke Turkish. They pulled out Terjimli, asked for a translator, and a Turkish designer living in LA picked up in her living room, and for 20 minutes, she was part of the rescue operation of 12 humans. Another incredible thing happens here, and it's fascinating to me. When interactions like this happen, the volunteer sends us a message thanking Terjimli for giving them the opportunity to help. I want you to think about that for a second. Someone who gave 30 minutes, 45 minutes of their time, they helped someone else, all of a sudden, right after that, they feel the need to come thank us for enabling them to help. This means what we've built was not only impactful, but incredibly engaging for the volunteers. And this is critical for our thesis of scaling the impact. Today, our translators do more than 3,000 translations per week. They speak more than 80 languages, and they, are, uh, they come from more than 95 countries. The most impressive metric of all is the volunteer engagement. In any volunteer-based solution, attrition and retention are some of the biggest challenges with volunteer. We have a 60% week-over-week engagement. And to put this in terms we might all understand in this room, this is the same engagement level that Instagram has which means we're able to take an experience like volunteering, package it in a seamless product, and make volunteering as addictive and engaging as liking cupcake pictures on Instagram. So we've built this over the past year, and today we're focused on scaling this impact to every refugee that needs it. We started with a Facebook Messenger app, and today we are working hard every day to release a standalone platform that improves a number of the privacy concerns that were um, apparent on Facebook um, on the user experience fully and build some of the uh, feature requests that our NGO partners have asked for. It also enables us to collect more data on our volunteer pool, enabling us to do better, more efficient matching to make sure we're servicing our volunteers with the best request. This mobile app is the cornerstone of our growth and scaling strategy of 2019, servicing the goal of having an interpreter 
in the pocket of every refugee and aid worker anywhere, anytime. And you can all join us by signing up on the website, and you'll get a notification when we launch the, website, uh, the, the mobile app. And meanwhile, you can volunteer your language. So I talked about the impact and why I think what we're doing is important. But I want to wear my engineer hat and talk to you about why I think building this is exciting for an engineer, for a software engineer. Our product has these four main pillars. The first is the incentive engine that allows us to scale a volunteer pool efficiently and uh, continue to maintain that pool engaged with the application. The second is the training and feedback cycle that guarantees that we have high quality translation on the platform. Then we have our machine learning matching that makes sure we can get you a translator immediately. And the last one is the communication channels that we utilize to, to reach everyone who needs this service. To start with the incentive model, like many other companies you've heard, with, uh, you've heard about, we are engaged in this gig economy. We have a pool of crowd workers who do small tasks, just like Uber, Lyft, TaskRabbit, Mersul. We need to have an incentive system that makes sure our workers are continuing to engage. Now, unlike all these companies, our incentive model does not transact any cash. Rather, you give me 10 or 15 minutes of your time, and I give you back instant gratification and a, pa and a path to self-actualization. And it turns out having this power expands our potential pool of volunteers. We can target both the Uber driver and the medical surgeon to be volunteers. Because it turns out many humans value this feeling of being helpful and useful to others a lot more than $15. And we're able to achieve this because we have the unique capacity to give you the direct impact of the time volunteered. We connect you directly to the situation that needs help, and instantaneously and immediately, you're going to see the impact of your work. We also make sure that there's low commitment on the volunteer side. We don't ask for scheduling. We don't ask you to tell me when you might be free. Come online if you want to help. As I will explain in a second, we do a zero commitment volunteering model. And none of this can work. None of this can work if we cannot harvest trust in this platform. Our volunteers need to trust that their time is being used productively. And the refugees need to trust that they are going to get the help they need it immediately when they need it. The third pillar is the training and, uh, and feedback. Now, we need to make sure the um, quality is high on this platform. So we leverage many different techniques to do that. The first is the two-channel uh, two feedback uh, that happens every, after every interaction. But we also leverage other volunteers that we trust. 20% of our, our, of our volunteers are professional translators themselves. We leverage them to give us insight about the quality of others. And over time, we build a quality trust 
that allows you to get access to more critical translation situations the more time you spend on the platform. We also invest in developing training content that helps move any normal human being with a bilingual ca uh, capability to, be, uh, to learn some of the skills uh, that are needed in the interpretation space. Third, I'll talk about the machine learning. And this is critical to what we do. Remember that we are servicing the real-time request situations. Someone is in front of a doctor, saw something urgent happening. They need a translator right now. If I have a large pool of volunteers, how do I pick the correct one to ask for help? And here, we leverage a uh, prediction algorithm that we developed to figure out the availability of volunteers. For every volunteer, we predict their availability over the days. We combine that with the quality uh, score we created for them. And with every request, we give the user the highest quality interpreter that is most likely going to be available at that specific time. Now, the last product pillar is the communication channel. Now, our translation happens in normal, uh, rich medium chats like we're all used to in WhatsApp and, and, and uh, Messenger. Uh, but there's a couple of things I want to highlight. First, we have this multi-channel approach. Again, I go back to the idea of distributive justice. We have users that need us one time in a month, and that's it, but it's critical. And we don't want to force every user to go on board and download a uh, separate mobile app. So we're going to where the users are. We've started in Facebook Messenger, we're expanding into WhatsApp, and we have our mobile application as the more premium user experience. But the idea is to reach the user where they are first. Second is we are servicing a um, uh, we're servicing a pool of users that is most vulnerable in the world, and we're aware of that. There are many bad actors in the world that might be trying to extract information or take advantage of these users. So anonymity and privacy are core in how we design these solutions. And the last thing I'll, I'll mention here is something super exciting. Um, is that the concept of bringing multiple volunteers into a single translation session. Now, there's this term which is a rare uh, language pair. How many people do you know can translate between Arabic and Greek? Probably not many. But what if we get an English-Arabic translator and an English-Greek translator, and we put them together in this triangle of love of languages? That allows us to service these rare language pairs. And we can do that because it takes us less than a minute to get a translator. Our goal in 2019 is to service 100,000 refugees supported by 1 million volunteers. And I trust we could do that because we have an incredible team with experts in both understanding how to build and deploy scalable software uh, solutions, as well as delivering social impact in a sustainable manner. As I mentioned earlier, what the humanitarian space needs today, more than anything, are organizations that are dedicated to bringing impact through technology. They've had enough of the hackathons and the hobbyists. 
It's good, but impact is not delivered by project. Impact is not delivered by uh, software. Change is only delivered by sustained organizations. In 2018, Terjumli was uh, funded by Y Combinator, Fast Forward, Echoing Green, to name a few. And a couple of weeks ago, Terjimli was chosen as a top social impact organization by the Vatican Challenge to support displaced communities. This challenge was sponsored by the Pope. I'm very passionate about this work. And if I wasn't loud enough, I'll be louder now. My work here is driven by three core beliefs. Everyone deserves the dignity to be understood. Being understood should not be a privilege. Access to communication solutions improves the equality of services provided. I no longer want to see services denied to the bottom 1% of our population because they speak a different language. Guess what? Those who need our help the most speak marginalized languages by sheer design of our economic systems. And none of this can be achieved unless we can leverage technology to harvest trust back between communities. It's not software that's helping people here. It's people that are helping people. And for people to help people, the only thing software can do is just harvest the trust between these communities. I'll leave you with a quote for Jibran Khalil Jibran. You give little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. Shukran Jazeera.